Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. For today's sermon, we apologise for the quality of the audio. Uh, It was actually recorded just using a phone, but we've managed to fix the problems we were having with our sound desk. So next week, we'll be back to normal. Thanks for your patience. The next four weeks, as you just saw on the screen, we're going to be looking at some health apps. And what we're looking at is some lifelong principles that we can apply to maintain healthy relationships, not just with our neighbours that we're going to be looking at today, but also with family, kids and spouses. But yes, we are starting today with Neighbours. Who saw the final episode of Neighbours? You poor people. I haven't seen a minute of it yet. Was it good? It was good. Okay. Guess we've got different tastes, haven't we? So... Um, we're going to be talking about neighbours today, friends, acquaintances, <coughs> colleagues, even you know the person that lives next door, however you want to refer to as a neighbour. When Jesus was doing his Sermon on the Mount, he encouraged people in uh, Matthew chapter 5 to be peacekeepers. He also told people to try and control their anger, control their desires, keep their marriage vows, keep their word do what they say they're going to do, not seek revenge, and to love their enemies. And Jesus had a very clear message that day. He was basically saying, do everything that you can. Do everything that you can to maintain healthy relationships because nothing is more important than your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. And I truly believe that healthy relationships are the key to success in every area of life. We need healthy relationships at home. We need them at school. We need them in the workplace. We need them in our street. We need them in the community and at church. Because broken relationships uh, and, and unresolved relationship issues, as I'm sure you know, are very, very damaging. They're damaging to our kids, They're damaging to our communities, our workplaces. They're damaging to church. They are even, and they're very damaging to to ourselves. So it's no wonder that when Jesus was training his disciples, as he did, he spent a lot of time, you can read this in the Gospels, he spends a lot of time teaching and showing them how to build healthy relationships with other people. But one thing he said really stands out, and he gave them this perfect rule relationships and it's pure gold and you all know this I'm sure whether you're new to church or whether you've been here for years Mark 12 31 it says love your neighbor as yourself I'm sure everyone has heard this at some point and for a few hundred years this has been referred to now as the golden rule Um, think of how you want your friends your best friends to treat you. And maybe that's you want them to be reliable, you want them to be caring, you want them to be honest with you, you want them to have your back, you want them to speak well of you, you want them to help you any way that they can. And I want you to imagine that if everybody did that, can you imagine if we lived in a world where everyone treated everybody like they were their best friend 
Like everyone was treated like their best friend. Can you imagine how much less pain there would be in the world today if that's what we all did? Speaking of pain, I want to talk about the first few years of my marriage. <laughs> a happy life is a happy life. <laughs> You'd think so, but no. There was a lot of pain. Because rather than Sally and I doing the whole, you know, love your neighbour principle thing with each other, we were, we, were, we were out working at another principle. It was called Fix Your Neighbour Principle. I don't know if you know this one. This is where you spend your time trying to force the other person to do things the way you want them to do them. Something that none of you, I'm sure, have ever tried on your spouses. But here's the problem. If you take two strong-willed people who are very stubborn, with strong opinions, who both think that they're always 100% right, and you put them in a house together, you get a reality TV show. We, we heard that. I don't know if I need to change mics, are we okay? We'll keep going. It was tough. It all started, for those of you that haven't heard this before, it all started about exactly three minutes after I met her. <laughs> I went down to her house in Mount Gambia because we were staying with her parents and uh, my parents knew her parents and we were staying there for the weekend and I was down there for a reason to do, I think it was to do a Bible college. Um, there was a, a thing I'd missed back here in Adelaide and they were doing a catch up there. So I went to Mount Gambia for that and my dad was involved in that. So we stayed at uh, Sally's house and within three minutes, I've walked in, we've said hello, I've walked straight to, um, I think I've got something in my eye or something from a reaction to something driving there from the pine that's in the area. And I walked over to the kitchen sink and there was this cloth, this manky, smelly cloth. And this cloth is in their sink, wet. So I just thought, I should educate them on that. And so I said, you know, why don't you just take the cloth and hang it over, like, the tap? Because then it can dry out and it won't smell. Well, Sally had other ideas. And so this thing went on and on. And it really did go on and on because after we got married, these sort of things would continue. I mean, I hate being late. For people that know me, I hate being late. And Sally doesn't want to be late, don't get me wrong, but she also doesn't want to waste any precious moment of her life. And so she will actually try to time it perfectly when she needs to leave to go somewhere. The pro and it bugs me. It really bugs me because it's like, Sally, you have left zero flexibility for what could go wrong in the next three to five minutes. So you're assuming that the moment you're going to leave it up right to the last minute, knowing that, yeah, it's going to take me seven minutes to get there, but what if something happens in the meantime? It would do my head in every time be like, Sally, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is crazy. And she would do it anyway, right to the last second. So, of course, we'd always be late for things. And that would really bug me. One day, she'd left it really late, and I don't know what happened but she stacked it right outside the bus stop trying to catch that bus for the last minute to go and I had to leave work where I was a teacher and go and pick the 
poor girl up. It was, I think she learned something that day, but I don't really know because we still continue with this today. But I, you know, it was bad to me. This is just, I would, I, and I continually, even today, can be a bit like this, like, why are you leaving this to the last minute? And then there was Sally's crimes. She would be so critical of my, well, what I would call achievements. <laughs> like, I'd dry the dishes and she'd be annoyed that I had not put them away. I'm like, but I dried them. <laughs> if I was closing the shower screen, apparently I would close it too hard. She'd say, would you like me to show you? I'll show you how to close it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Two weeks' time, Sally and I are doing a, a joint sermon here on marriage. Wow, that's going to be so much fun, isn't it? <laughs> love your neighbour. She just said, I love you. Love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus was saying, don't wait for people to do the right thing by you. Start by doing the right thing by them. You'd like to be accepted? Well, you need to actually start to accept others first. If you want to be encouraged, what are you doing to encourage others? You want people to care about you? Then you should really focus on caring for others first. And if you want to be forgiven, it's so important that we are being forgiving people. In Jesus' great sermon, he then takes it to another level. In Matthew 5, 43 to 44, he says, You've heard the law that says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. There's no easy way to put this, but it's absolutely true that some people are just absolute sods. They, some people is horrible. But the golden rule doesn't exclude them. It says, love your neighbour as yourself. And your neighbour includes nice people, it includes helpful people, it includes um, selfless people. But if you've ever seen a current affair, neighbour also includes horrible, vindictive, selfish sods. Love your neighbour. Love all people as yourself. In case you're thinking, well, that, that basically means that well, we shouldn't hate horrible people, give, Jesus gives us some examples of what he actually means by when we have to love our enemies. So in verse 39 he says, But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, we've got to be very careful of this because people have often misinterpreted this scripture. Is Jesus saying if someone um, assaults you that you should really let them really smash you up? Well, clearly not. You know, it's more if my mum were to slap me on the cheek, and my mum would never do that, well, I don't think so, but if my mum were to slap me on the cheek, I would be embarrassed. It's, it would, I would think that was a personal insult. And so Jesus is saying, when people insult you, don't cut them from your life. When they insult you, don't go and seek revenge. You'll want to slap them back. You'll want to, you'll want to give them an insult back. But instead, say something encouraging. It's treating them how you would like to be treated. Matthew 5.40 says, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Is Jesus saying, if someone is taking from you, really let them exploit you. Let them take everything. 
No, Jesus is not saying that. He's saying if someone has sued you in court, guess what? There's a broken relationship. If someone has sued you, there's clearly something going on between you and them. And them. Something bad has happened between you. The relationship is broken. If you can possibly restore that relationship just by giving a coat, for goodness sake, do it. In other words, by being more generous than you have to be. If that'll solve the problem, do it. It's such a small price to pay to heal a relationship. Treat people how you'd like to be treated. And in both of these examples, Jesus was really saying the same thing. When someone is trying to take from us, be generous. Surprise them with love. He's not saying let people control you. He's not saying let people walk all over you. He's actually saying quite the opposite because when people treat us really badly, rather than lose control and start lashing out at them, if you choose to bless them and you choose to love them, guess what? You've stayed in control. You're in control of the situation, not them. We can either allow others to rob us of our joy and peace as we focus on how we're going to get revenge or how we're going to get them back, and that that never works, or we can choose to bless them. And as a result, possibly restore the relationship. It's what God did. If you look at Romans 5.10, it says, Our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. He didn't do it for us when he was our friends. He did it for us when we didn't deserve it. So the first thing that I think that we need to know. The first thing we need to apply in our lives if we want to be good neighbours is we need to love. The second thing we need to do is encourage. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, so encourage each other and build each other up. Encourage each other. What does that actually mean? Does it mean we should flatter each other? You know, like telling telling your boss that you love their new haircut hoping they might give you a pay increase. You should definitely buy this car. You should buy it from me. You definitely should. It'll make you... You look 10 years younger with that. Josh, I I really loved your sermon on Sunday. I thought it was... Particularly stuff about Sally, that was very true. But now, about that online job you've got going, can I talk to you about that? Romans 16, 18 says, Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Flattery is very much self-serving. It's not encouragement at all. So if we don't use flattery, what do they mean by encouragement? What about motivational words like, Annika, opportunities don't just happen. You create them. You know, I hate stuff. I see people put this stuff on Facebook and it's, oh, oh, don't get me started. It's horrible. You know what's so bad about it? It makes people actually sometimes think that they themselves are the answer to all their problems. That's what it does. It tricks people into thinking, I can do this. No, maybe you can't. God can. But here's the problem. 
These motivational things, they trick people into thinking, yeah, it's all in here. I've got everything. I've got it all covered. I really can't stand them. You know, There's some I don't mind, though. I was looking at a couple the other day. Uh, never put off until tomorrow what you can avoid altogether. I like that. <laughs> I like this one, too. Teamwork means never having to take all the blame yourself. And I particularly like this one. Never underestimate the power of very stupid people in large groups. <laughs> Remember that, people. No matter how good a saying is, that is not what's going to encourage us in the way that the Bible wants us to be encouraging. What the Bible means when it talks about encouraging, if we went back to the Greek, what it's really talking about, and I'm not going to go through the Greek words, but if you take the Greek words and then you interpret it really means getting alongside of people that's what it means to encourage it means to get alongside of them it means to get to know a person it means to know their passions and their dreams and their struggles and their challenges and their disappointments and you try to support them the best that you can that's really what it means to encourage and it can take on different forms you know to some people that are giving up it means encouraging is going to be trying to encourage them not to give up just to keep going that's encouragement. To others that have really messed up, encourage them to restore it. Encourage them to fix what has taken place. To those that are heading down a bad path, and you know if, you, if people you know are heading down the wrong path, encouragement might include gently steering them back on track. To those that are hurting or grieving, encouragement is just comforting them. This is what it means to encourage. You know, flattery points people to the flatterer. Motivational sayings point things to ourselves. But encouragement points people toward God. Because godly encouragement, if we do it right, it encourages the person to look to God for all the answers. Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, Help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that God, who is perfect, <coughs> sinless, holy and blameless, he sees us wherever he is now. He sees us living our lives and rather than just criticise us for all the imperfections and all the sin and all the things he sees us doing that he knows we shouldn't be doing, instead, he gives us encouragement. And may we do the same with those around us. And what does God expect of us? He basically expects that we will do the same with each other. If you look at verse 11, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up. Our role as a church family here is to walk with each other, and you know what I mean by that. It is to get alongside of people that you know are doing it tough for whatever reason and just go on that journey with them. Support each other, care for each other. I've been so proud of the people in this church. So many of you, we've had a fair few people pass away in the last 12 months, a lot more than we normally would in a, in a normal year. But I've been so proud of seeing just how many people have been getting alongside these, these families that have been doing it tough 
and just supporting them. And I think that's what the, that's a key part of the church. Yeah. So people to get alongside the people. Amen. That is encouragement. So the first thing was love. The second thing was encouragement. And the final thing I want to share with you today, so important and so hard at times, restore. In 1955, there were some stores in South Australia called Walkers. Some of you may have heard of this. They were in the mid-north of South Australia and in the uh, Iron Triangle. They sold men's and women's clothes and they also sold chocolate bars in the stores. The girls that worked there um, would also sometimes steal the chocolate bars when the owners were not around. And the owners of those stores were my grandparents. Their names were Roy and Nancy Walker. Now, my grandfather never found out that these girls were stealing chocolate bars from the store, the girls that worked there, and neither did my nana until seven months before she died in 2006 when she received this letter in the mail. Dear Nancy, please not enclose check payment for chocolate bars taken without payment 50 years ago. Paying you in full as Christ would have me. I worked for Roy Walker in Wyla and was party to this with the other girls. Blessings. 50 years later, For 50 years, this lady, whoever she is, God bless her, she's probably passed away now. <clears throat> For 50 years, this lady had unfinished business that she knew in her heart she needed to deal with. She needed to restore it. So she confessed, she got it off her chest, and she made right her wrong. And I would imagine that apart from initially feeling very ashamed and having to own up, I reckon that would have quickly turned to relief, knowing, you know what, at least I've dealt with that. She owned up to it. And my guess is her probably her only regret was, why didn't I do this like after 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years? This obviously ate at her. It took her 50 years to get to the point of doing that. Why did I let this drag on for 50 years? Now, this is a small matter. I'm sure that, you know, even if my grandparents had known that they'd taken some chocolate bars and never confessed, I'm sure they still would have slept at night. It wouldn't have bothered them. But clearly, it was eating at this lady because she's still thinking about it 50 years later. I then I think, how much more do real matters where there's been real relationship breakdown, how... How much more must that affect people where they haven't been dealt with? How much that eat people up? It's unfinished business. And I think the most toxic unfinished business you and I can have is unforgiveness. It is the worst thing we can hold on to. And the fact is, you know, we've spoken this many times here. Most of us here have been hurt by someone. Most of us, and if not, all of us will at some point. If you haven't already, you will be eventually hurt by someone. People aren't perfect. Someone's eventually going to say something that offends you or people are going to do something that, that is going to do wrong by you. And us Christians, we, we love our forgiveness. When we become Christians, we ask Jesus to become our Lord and Saviour and we ask him to forgive us of our sin 
And then we experience God's love, his acceptance, and we especially experience his forgiveness. And a massive weight is lifted from his soul. And those of you that have done that, you know what I'm talking about. You get that sense of when you've been forgiven, it is a wonderful feeling and we treasure it. And in Ephesians 1.7 it says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And you know, I felt that kindness and that grace when I accepted Jesus for the first time. And new Christians often feel great when they, when they do that. It, such is the impact of what forgiveness does for you. You know, you feel like you've got this new fresh start in life. And then you start to desire more and more of God. And one of the first things people then do is they get hungry for the things of God and they start reading the Bible and they might even come to a pastor and say, I'm really keen to read the Bible. Where where should I start? And we'll often say to them, well, you know what? Don't start in the Old Testament. How about we start in the New Testament? Let's, Let's start one of the Gospels. So they go straight to the book of Matthew. They're reading it. Okay, yep, so far looking good. And then they get to Matthew 6. 6 verse 14 and 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're pretty easy to, happy to accept um, that Jesus has forgiven me. But Jesus also expects us to forgive others. And that's the part that Christians don't always like. The Apostle Paul puts it just as bluntly. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We love being forgiven. We love the fact that God has been so gracious to us. But I don't know that we're always that keen on forgiving others. Why is that? Why would we want to hold on to it? Why would we want to hold on to this toxic thing, this this poisonous thing that is polluting our souls, something that seeps into the innermost being and pollutes our heart and it does nothing but destroy us. And yet we don't get rid of it. We're happy to hold on to it sometimes. Why would we want to hold on to unforgiveness? Why would we hold on to something that is such a wretched thing to our soul? Well, I can think of three reasons really quickly. Number one, people don't think that um, it was fair. I didn't deserve what they did to me, so why should I forgive them? Second one, they're not sorry for what they did, so I'm not going to forgive them until they are sorry. And thirdly, I actually want them to keep feeling bad about what they've done. I'm teaching them a lesson. I'm not ready to let that go. They need to really suffer a bit longer. But who's really suffering? You know, God says we need to forgive. Because unforgiveness is toxic. It is a deadly disease and it will destroy you if it's left untreated. It will destroy your spiritual life. It will create a barrier between you and God. God won't create the barrier. You not forgiving will create the barrier. Mark 11.25 says, but when... You are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. There will be an issue between you and God if you don't deal with it. Number two, we need to forgive because we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ 
has forgiven you. And thirdly, when we forgive, we become more like Christ. We become more like the the person that God wants us to be. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love keeps no record of being wronged. So neither should we. You know, unforgiveness is a thief. It takes away from us. It doesn't give us anything apart from pain. It makes us sick physically, emotionally, spiritually. Can I have the music team come, please? It causes the good fruit in our life to drop off. Just like, you know, when you've got a sick fruit tree, you know when the tree is not doing well because the first thing it's going to do to preserve itself is it's going to drop the fruit. It gets rid of that. And I think people can be the same. When we are spiritually sick, the good fruit in our lives starts to drop off first. But when we forgive, it's just like a fruit tree that's been well looked after. It starts to produce fruit again. The joy will return. The peace will return. The patience returns. The kindness returns. You know, we get that good life again and it's so evident. Everyone can see it. I love the way that Jesus taught the apostles about forgiveness. The apostles were gathered around and Peter asked, it was a classic in Matthew 18, 21, he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me, you know, seven times? And we know that God, Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. And Jesus is really saying, um, Peter, we don't keep wrongs, we keep forgiving. We don't keep wrongs, we keep forgiving. That's what we keep. Because forgiveness leads to restoration. So as we today are looking at this whole idea of neighbours, and as we said at the beginning, neighbours is basically anyone that we come across in our life. Three things that we could apply that would make all the difference to our relationships is first of all, love. Love others as we would want to be loved. Encourage. Get alongside people and build them up with whatever's needed. Build them up in a way with whatever they're going through right now. And finally, restore. Restore, restore, restore your relationships just as Jesus did with you. Now these are... These are tough points to to look at, I think, you know, because what it does is it stirs up a lot of emotion. It stirs up a lot of hurt, potentially. It stirs up a lot of things that I'm sure many people here have had people do awful things, terrible things. But I, I do believe that it's so important for your sake, if not for others, for your own sake, that you do all that you can to restore relationships, that you do all that you can to forgive, you do all that you can to encourage and to love, just as Jesus did for us. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, I thank you that, Lord, when we were your enemy, when we wanted nothing to do with you, when we were busy doing our own thing, Lord, you still reached out to us. You still went with us. You forgave us. You loved us. You've encouraged us. Lord, you did everything. 
you were by us every step of the way, no matter how bad we were to you. Such was your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I just pray that as we reflect when we leave here and as we think through the things that have happened in our lives, Lord, may what you did for us be that strength that helps us to get through. May, may it be your strength. May we look to you for the answers, not to anything else other than you. Lord, help us to forgive. Help us to restore relationships. Help us to love others, even where they don't deserve it. Help us to encourage people in the way that would be best for them. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what to do in each situation. And Lord, as we do that, as Lord, as we outwork that love for others, Lord, may, may the Jesus in us shine through. May people see that it is your spirit in us that is helping us to do these things. And may, may all that we do point people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.